everyone, my name is Kelly Moritz and I am an occupational therapy doctoral student bringing you resources, tips, and discussions about all things self-regulation. Welcome to the Little Brains Big Emotions podcast. Sit back and enjoy. Hello, everyone. My name is Kelly Moritz, and I'm with Little Brains Big Emotions. I'm here with Leah Foreman. She is the owner of Nurtured Pediatrics. Um, So Leah, I'll go ahead and have you introduce yourself and talk a little bit about OT and your favorite part about being an OT. Absolutely. Yeah. Hello, everyone. I'm Leah Foreman. Uh, I am an occupational therapist, caregiver coach, and owner of Nurtured Pediatrics. Uh, What do I love most about being an OT? Um, I'm making life possible for a lot of the kids that I work with and helping parents to uh, find that connection with their kids so that they can see their kids participate in the joys of life. And that's probably my favorite part um, about being an occupational therapist. I just love what I do. I can't see myself doing anything else. I think I'm really lucky to have found OT. Yeah, I could not agree more that the relationship part and just having them enjoy their life is, I think, the best part of it. Yeah. Um, but you've been in OT since, is it 2014 or how so long I, are you doing? Yeah, yeah. So I was actually a CODA before I was an OT Okay. Um, for just under five years, I believe. I'd have to look back at all the dates. It's been a while. Um, since I graduated from CODA school. And then I went back to school in 2000 and what was that, 2017, um, for my doctorate to continue my education. Yes, which I just finished in December of last year. So Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You're in that process right now, too. I am, yeah. Well, be graduating in May, so I'll be happy to be done with a student. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yes, you're almost there. I know that feeling. I know. Um, so just talking more about self-regulation and kind of getting into that, what are some of your favorite ways to regulate yourself when you're feeling overwhelmed or upset? Mm, So many different ways. Um, (laughs) lots of tools in my toolbox as far as self-regulation for myself. Um, most mornings I meditate for about 15 minutes before I get my day started. I start my day with a warm cup of tea and some meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, that really kicks off my day usually in a, in a calm and regulated way. Um, I also do yoga. I feel like that input of yes. yoga is really great. Mm-hmm. Um, but life doesn't always allow us to sit and meditate and have that still time or get to a yoga class. And so some more on the go things that I realize that I do. Um, I'm a very olfactory and sense of smell person. So I love essential oils. They can be really calming or alerting for me. Um, Like I'll use peppermint oil for alerting myself when I'm doing some work I really need to be focused on. Um, And I'll use lavender and vetiver when I need to bring it down and calm down. Um, Some other things that I do um, within the last few months, I've actually been doing this thing after meditation or in the morning or in the afternoon, I actually been dancing. So I'll put it, yeah, I know. And I've been loving it. So I'll put it in my headphones and find some really like, just some really fun instrumental music. I don't often do like, sometimes I'll do Cardi B, but most of the time it's like this cool (laughs) instrumental um, music. And I'll just kind of like by myself locked in a room. I don't even let my husband see me do this, like just (laughs) dancing and dancing like a complete fool. Um, 
So I've been loving that too. Um, I've been trying to find daily movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love breath work. Um, to me, let me know if I'm breaking up too. My internet just said unstable. You did a but, little bit, but. Um, okay. So the other piece that I really love, and to me, this is one of the things I love to teach too, to my kids and my families is breath work mm-hmm. um, because our breath is always with us. My meditation mat, a yoga class, my essential oils may not be with me, but my breath always is. And so I use breath work a lot to regulate myself, um, especially in between treatment sessions to kind of clear out the last and be ready for the next. Mm-hmm. Um, or if I'm just having a day and I'm feeling really heightened and I need to bring it a little bit down so I can get through my day, love breath work. Um, and so, I have two or three that I use. Yeah, go ahead. How do, you, how do you teach that to your families? Is that like four in, four out, or do you have a specific? Um, so when I'm using it with families, I mostly start with, um, for the little ones, when we're talking about different emotions, I talk about a five finger breath. So they'll take a big deep breath in through their nose and then we do candle blowing out. So we go in through the nose and then we blow out a candle. So we get five breaths in that way. Um, my littles don't always understand like a one, two ratio breath, which is what I use for myself. So if I can at least get them understanding, breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth in a fun way through play. Um, that's a great start for breath work for my little ones. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and that's so, it just gives them a clear description of what they're doing. They don't really need to figure it out on themselves. That's a natural way to do it. That's really awesome. Yeah. Um, how, when you're talking to parents, how do you describe self-regulation? Because that's, it's a broad term. It involves a lot of different things. How do you kind of break that down so they understand the importance of it? Right. Yeah. I have a handout that um, I've created and I'll be posting it on my website soon. And what it does is it breaks down. It's a list of maybe 50 things in all the different areas, all the different systems of sensory regulation. Um, to show parents that they're already doing things to regulate themselves. So you might be a toe tapper. You might chew on the end of pens. You might always need to be chewing on gum. You might be a leg crosser. I'm a leg crosser. My legs are crossed right now. Um, so I'm regulating in the, yeah, so I'm like, I'm regulating in that way. So showing parents that they're already regulating, that we as human beings have to have regulation in order to get through our day and, um, and regulate our bodies and our nervous system, showing them what they're already doing and then building upon that with other things that they can add in or take out to help them regulate throughout their days. That's a really clear way because they won't understand it if they don't understand it in themselves. So yeah, that's- um, Yeah, absolutely. We have to know ourselves before we can know others. So, others, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how do you introduce feelings and emotions, especially with little, little kiddos? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so it depends on the little one. Um, there is kind of a, a treatment session plan that I'll use and kind of modify for each little one when we're introducing emotions at first. I always start with joy. I always start with joy because little ones understand, oh, I'm smiling, I'm laughing, this is joy. Mm-hmm. Um, I can really relate to them on that level first. And I have these, I'm blanking on who made these little flashcards that I have, but they have these cartoon faces with emotions. And there is um, joy, sadness, anger, um, and then thirst, hunger, and scared. Okay. Um, and fear. So those are the, what is that, six or seven that I start with? Mm-hmm. And I usually will do joy and then sadness. 
and then being scared because kids like to pretend like they're scared. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, spiders and zombies and monsters. And, and then we go to anger. And um, so we, what we do is we look at the cards and we just talk about them at first and we learn what each kind of card and face is. And then we look at the card and we feel it in ourselves. We might do, oh, joy, ha, 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 and we're smiling and we're feeling joy. And then we go to sadness and we make our sad face and we pretend like we're crying. Um, so a lot of role play and pretend with each emotion. Mm-hmm. And then once the kids have that down, um, and this is not in one session, this might be anywhere between one and really five to 10 sessions. It just depends on the child and where they're at. Um, but after they are recognizing the emotions on kind of a play-based level and recognizing them within my face and maybe mom's face and dad's faces and within their own bodies, then we start talking about, okay, when I feel angry, what do I do? When I feel sad, who can I tell? So then looking at the coping strategies and ways that they can self-regulate themselves when those emotions are coming up within their bodies. But we have to feel them and recognize them first before we can uh, look at coping strategies. A tool, correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you, so you just started Nurtured Pediatrics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we launched in January, so a little over a month ago. Yeah. So I would love to just hear more about that. And um, I know your, I looked at your website and I just love your mission. You said heal the world by healing the caregiver child relationship first and foremost. And that's just, I think that's so important. So yeah, if you could just dive in on um, maybe what services look like, why you wanted to start Nurture Pediatrics. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that mission really dives into, for me, I truly, truly, with all of my heart and soul, believe that parents have this unique um, opportunity and gift to raise the new generations of our world in a way that can heal the world. Yes. And so by supporting parents and caregivers, I feel like I am contributing to that healing um, and collaborating with those parents to create that healing. And so as an occupational therapist, you know, we care about anything that occupies your time is what I always say. So that's a lot of things. And with little ones and parents, we're looking at what we call co-occupations, right? Mm -hmm. So things that they're doing together. And for the most part, when littles are really little and then growing, they do most of their occupations together. Most of occupations are co-occupations for kids. And so nurturing that caregiver and child relationship can bring ease to those daily occupations, whether it's getting dressed or brushing teeth, um, going to school, transitioning between playgroup and karate and school and back home and grandma's house and um, anything that whenever there's a breakdown in those routines and rituals from an occupation standpoint is how I feel um, supporting that caregiver relationship can really help in that way. Um, so that's kind of my mission behind Nurtured and, and how I'm addressing um, different occupations through that relationship. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that fully answered your question. Let me know it if I does. missed it. It does. Did you, did you see kind of a disconnect in um, the early childhood, spe- specifically in Denver, or was it just a dream that you wanted to focus on that solely? I think no matter where, I mean, Denver and nationwide, and I think across our globe, Um, sometimes in pediatrics, the focus, not sometimes, I think a lot of the times actually, the focus is just on the child. Mm -hmm. My child is doing this. I want to fix it. I want to help. I want it to go away. I want it to stop or I want it to start. And 
you know, early in my days too, as a CODA, my focus was 100% on the child. And of course, I'm trying to facilitate parents to follow through on home programming and, and follow my recommendations, but never was I having my 100% focus on that relationship. And when I started focusing on that, these kids are healing and growing and, and finding ease within these daily routines um, more rapidly. Mm-hmm. They're healing fully and more quickly and finding that wholeness when I'm nurturing that relationship first and then looking at the child second. So it's a bit counterintuitive to how I was originally trained right. uh, in my original practice methods. But to me, it's just more of a whole practice, more of a holistic way of looking at the family. And as an occupational therapist, we're supposed to look at their their roles and their relationships and their entire context. And so for me, there was something that was missing. I was looking at the environment and the context, but not so much um, how that, that child and caregiver relationship was really affecting everything. Right. Yeah. Well, and as OTs, we're only with them one day a week for about an hour Mm -hmm. to change that caregiver relationship was, that makes a huge difference. So. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So your services, um, they're in-home and um, telehealth kind of consultations, correct? Or a li- Yeah, a little bit of both of those. So within the Denver metro area, uh, which is a pretty large area, I do in-home visits. Um, and I provide occupational therapy, um, feeding therapy, and caregiver coaching um, in-home. And then I do have my telehealth license. And so that allows me then to virtually serve the state as a whole. So the entire state of Colorado. So I could have a child that lives five hours from me and lives in an area where there's not a lot of OT or driving to an OT clinic takes three hours one way. That is just not feasible. Yeah. Yeah. So with the telehealth services into those areas, Um, which is really beautiful. And then I do provide um, nationwide that virtual caregiver coaching. So at this point, you know, we're not licensed to occupational therapists. If you're not familiar um, with OT, we are not licensed nationwide. We're licensed on a state-by-state basis. Um, But so I'm not able to provide that OT and feeding therapy um, outside of the state of Colorado, but that doesn't mean we can't get on the phone and I can put on my hat as a caregiver coach and just listen to what's happening and give some strategies um, from a caregiver coaching standpoint. Yes. Yeah. And then you're reaching so many other people. That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've been, cause I follow you on Instagram, obviously yeah. I've been noticing you talk a lot about just maternal health and mm-hmm. this concept of the fourth trimester. Um, and I think OT specifically is getting a little more into that, but that's not a common, common theme that people talk about. Um, so could you kind of explain what the fourth trimester is and then just any difficulties you see for mom and family with that? Right. Yeah. So the fourth trimester is an additional trimester. Um, postnatal, where the mom and baby are together and mom is healing and taking on her new role as a mother and trying to figure out what her baby needs and provide that while taking care of herself. Mm -hmm. And of course, baby is main focus in that. And this is a concept that I think I learned about maybe 18 months to two years ago, somewhere in there. So this is a newer concept for me as well. Um, and I have doulas and um, postpartum um, 
physical therapists and Ayurvedic coaches that I, I work with who really support mamas during that phase. And I definitely defer to them because I'm not an expert or specialist in that mm -hmm. area. Although collaborating with them is so beautiful because I get to look at occupations and say, hey, mama, I know you're struggling with this occupation. I know you're struggling with this schedule and this routine. And you know, how do you breathe and take care of yourself and feed yourself, let alone heal after birth? while caring for this new little human. Um, and so looking at those occupations with one of those professionals is just something I'm super passionate about. Um, I'm working on getting a checklist together um, for moms for the fourth trimester with some of those professionals and um, kind of beefing up my website to make sure that, that, that there's an area on my website for those moms too, because I think especially too, and this is a soapbox I could get on for a while, <laughs> Um, especially within our culture and our country, um, that time period, I don't think is widely considered as sacred as it should be. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, some parts of the world it is. And I don't believe that I currently live in a culture here in um, the States that, um, you know, that time is valued as important and sacred. Um, a lot of moms are pushed to go back to work or have to go back to work, right. sometimes eight weeks in. So it just, you know, to me, that's a really big passion topic, but I'm learning more and more about it um, as I go and, and collaborate with these professionals with some of my families. Yeah. Well, I can't see, I can't wait to see what else you do with that and the things that you put on your website for resources. Um, speaking of resources, what types of things would you recommend for um, parents, therapists, uh, teachers for this population of early right. childhood? Right. So let's go through them. parents, therapists, educators. So parents, I would look into your state resources for early childhood. Start there. They may have a newsletter. Um, I also love like locally within Colorado, there's um, Colorado Parent Magazine. So okay. you might have a magazine in, within your state too, where you can subscribe to either to the magazine or just their newsletter. Usually their newsletters are free and have tons of free resources. Um, I would start there. And the other place for parents, I mean, I love the internet, um, Googling things and some mom blogs have great information and some have conflicting information. It just gets really confusing and muddy for parents. Um, but I can say for parents, as far as online resources, I love my friend Katie's account, Thriving Littles. She's oh, nice. content, um, feeding and feeders and growers for feeding. Um, I love their content too. Um, I guess it just depends on the area that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. I am always here to be a resource too. I do those 15 minute con complimentary consults for a reason. And I can't tell you how many I have where mom's just a little bit worried or dad's just a little bit worried and we talk through it and then, and then it's okay. Um, so I guess my advice for parents as far as resources go is just don't be afraid to reach out and don't feel like if you go to your pediatrician with something that that is the be all end all. I respect pediatricians and I work with them very closely, but they are very, very busy and they don't always have time to provide the education and resources that you need or you're looking for. And a lot of their answers sometimes are let's wait and see. So if we're having an issue, okay, great. Let's wait and see. And at your next checkup visit, if it's still going on, we'll talk about it or 
you know, then we'll take it a little bit more seriously. And that's a general sweeping statement of pediatricians. I know not all pediatricians operate in that way, but many have no choice because of how our healthcare system works currently. Right. So if you're running into that, um, reach out to me. I also have a physical therapist I work really closely Her name closely with. Her name is Britta, and um, Progress Through Play is her Instagram handle. Okay. She does uh, wellness consults as well. So her and I sometimes will team um, on different families and, and kids. So that's what I would say for parents. Just in general, don't be afraid to reach out and don't be afraid to um, ask your pediatrician. And then on top of that, reach out for more resources because there's so much out there right now, but there's also a lot of misinformation. So just be careful and weary of the internet. That's great advice. Yeah. 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 For who was the next one? Therapist? Therapist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it just depends on where you're at in your process. I love um, the Sensory Project has a really great membership club. Mm -hmm. Thriving Littles is getting a membership club up and going. Um, my website has a great bunch of resources I'm getting together as we transition to the new website. Um, and my biggest piece of advice for professionals, this is number one. So when I have therapists reach out to me with different questions, my first response to them usually is, let's get on a call, like a mentorship call, or you need to get some mentors. We need to have mentors. I've got upwards of six or seven at this point, and I've got a mentor just about for anything I would ever need. I've got a business coach. I've got a mentor for feeding. I've got a mentor for sensory. I've got a mentor for emotions and regulation. Um, because I know a good bit, I've got a ton of training, mm -hmm. but we need multiple brains sometimes when we're looking at different things and we need that mentorship to make sure that we're growing and we're on track, um, with what we need to be providing for our families. So mm -hmm. my advice to therapists is just because you've taken a CEU course on it does not mean that, um, you're not going to need mentorship around it. So that's my main advice to therapists is get some good mentors. How um, do you find your mentors? You just reaching out to people or? Yeah, reaching out to people and connecting and just saying, hey, I've got this kid. Would you mind getting on the phone with me for five or 10 minutes um, so I can just pick your brain? I had a therapist reach out to me who um, is in Colorado, but lives, I think, like two hours outside of Colorado. Mm -hmm. She reached out to me last week and just said, hey, can we talk through this feeding kit I have? So absolutely. So of course, we stay HIPAA compliant, but we just say, you know, this is what's going on. What's your experience? And we talk through it and some, two brains sometimes are better than one a lot of times. Actually, not yeah. sometimes, a lot of times. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so just being brave and reaching out and being vulnerable and saying, look, I want to learn more and I need help. So that would be my main advice on, on how to get mentors. Yes. Yeah. I think it's people just automatically think like people don't have time for me and they probably mm. want to talk about this, but I think just reaching out and asking for help is, doesn't hurt. So that's great yeah. advice. Yeah. And if they don't have time, they'll tell you, or you won't get a response back. Right. And then, you know, you make it 10 no's and one yes, but at least then you've got that one mentor. So, mm -hmm. um, also like CEU courses I've taken, like I took feeders and growers, um, what was it? It was the neuro neurobiology of swallowing course. And, um, I also had a field work with one of the therapists, Carrie, um, who, who leads those courses, um, or Kim, Kim and Carrie. So now I reach out to them for mentorship. And I think, again, it's just being vulnerable and brave enough to say, look, you know more than me. Mm -hmm. 
And I you know, <laughs> you, you know a lot more than me and I want to be at where you're at. Um, I want to be, you know, as knowledgeable as you are. So re- being vulnerable and brave enough to reach out and ask for that. That's great. Yeah. Um, and then for educators, any resources on just social emotional, just anything around self-regulation that you might recommend? Um, so you're thinking like grad program or educators or just in general? Just um, teachers, anyone in the education field that's working with uh, children in early development. Yeah, um, I can share with you too, just because I'm also like fresh out of that doctorate program I just mm-hmm. finished, that the pediatric course that most universities teach or the one that ours teach goes over everything like from a general standpoint. And so I don't even know if diving into regulation and self-regulation from an emotional regulation standpoint is something that would be able to be covered in a way that would do it justice within a graduate program. Um, But if that is something, again, that you are interested in, you know, OTD students, do it for your capstone, look at it for your capstone, really dive into it. And again, get a mentor and get a placement for your capstone where you can really dive into that topic. Um, I think educators do a phenomenal job of, um, at least in the program I was in, of covering everything in a really great, easy to understand general way. And then it's up to us as practitioners when we graduate to specialize. And so I don't even know if it's on the educator's plate to you know, cover every topic and make every therapist confident coming out of school. We've yeah. got to specialize yeah. and be responsible for our own skills and learning really as therapists is what I believe. Yeah. It's a big topic. Mm-hmm. Um, what is one thing, if you can sum it to one thing, um, that you would want people to know about caring for children and big emotions? Mm, that it's not personal. <laughs> That's, That's the biggest the thing. It's short, sweet, and simple, but it's not personal. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're in Target and your child is melting over something, they want something, and they're just giving you the hardest time that day, um, they're not giving you a hard time. They're having a hard time. Yeah. Littles do not wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to make my mom or my dad's day so hard today that they cry. That is not their goal ever, ever, you know. You know, we start getting into older kids, then we start looking at more intentions and um, that relationship and interaction. But especially zero to five, I always think of kids, and I explain this to parents sometimes, when a little one and a baby is born into this world, they are born into this world as an alien, basically. This is a brand new world. They have no idea what's going on, where they are, what are the cultural norms, what are the social norms, how am I supposed to show up and act in this world? They have no idea, and it is up to us as adults and caregivers and parents to show them this is how this world works, and I love you, and I know this is hard to understand. It's hard to process, and it's hard to maintain our emotional regulation Mm -hmm. while we're learning and processing that. Um, that, all of that learning that those little ones do is just so tough. And so that's why, again, I just love nurturing that caregiver and child relationship so that parents understand that, you know, you are their guide in this new world that they know nothing about. Um, that is the number one thing that I always like to convey to parents and make sure parents understand. I could not agree more. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. 
Um, well, thank you so much for talking with me today. Where where can people find you to if they want to connect with you or if they want services through Nurtured? What's the best outlet for them? Absolutely. So website is leahforman.com. Instagram is leahforman.ot. And there's a Facebook page too that's linked on both of those resources. And I've got a newsletter that goes out every month that usually has um, a free downloadable resource in it and links to different resources. Um, we've got a pretty great newsletter community of people responding and supporting each other. I love that. Um, I also do at this point live virtual office hours on Mondays. If you are not local to Colorado, um, I'm working on in-person virtual office hours for Denver or in-person office hours, not virtual for Denver. And as far as services go, I always start with that complimentary consultation and we talk for anywhere between 15 and 20 minutes. I hear you out on what's going on with your little one and then we go from there. Um, like I said, sometimes parents just need to talk something out for 15 minutes and I'm available for that. And, you know, we don't need to go any further with it. They just needed a couple resources and I share that with them. And then, and then we both move on. And sometimes the consultation leads us to say, okay, let's look into this a little bit deeper. Maybe we do need to do a full evaluation or, um, and I'll come out to your home or we'll do telehealth to do that. Or, you know, they're, they're at a distance, they're not local to Colorado and we might look into the caregiver coaching. Um, if it's a caregiver and child relationship and things. So we always start with that complimentary consultation. So feel free to, to book that anytime. My schedule is always up to date with my availability. And we just hop on the phone or a video call like this and, um, and make that work. So that's how everybody can find me and connect. And I love connecting. It's one of my values, connection. So do not feel like you're bothering me. I try my best to um, accommodate and respond as best I can. All right. Well, thank you so much, Leah. It was great talking to you. You're welcome, Kelly. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. All okay. right. Okay. <laughs>